Homilies on Titus by St. John Chrysostom, translated by Philip Schaeff from the Nicene and Post-Nicene Fathers, Volume 13. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Homily 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Titus was an approved one of the companions of Paul, otherwise he would not have committed to him the charge of that whole island, nor would he have commanded him to supply what was deficient, as he says, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. He would not have given him jurisdiction over so many bishops, if he had not placed great confidence in him. They say that he also was a young man, because he calls him his son, though this does not prove it. I think that there is mention made of him in the Acts. <clears throat> Perhaps he was a Corinthian, unless there was some other of the same name. And he summons Zenos and orders Apollos to be sent to him, never Titus for he also attests their superior virtue and courage in the presence of the emperor. Some time seems to have since elapsed, and Paul, when he wrote this epistle, appears to have been at liberty, for he says nothing about his trials, but dwells continually upon the grace of God as being a sufficient encouragement to believers to persevere in virtue. For to learn what they had deserved in what state they had been transferred, and that by grace, and what had been vouchsafed to them, was no little encouragement. He takes aim also against the Jews, and if he censures the whole nation, we need not wonder, for he does the same in the case of the Galatians, saying, O foolish Galatians! And this does not proceed from a censorious temper, but from affection. For if it were done for his own sake, one might fairly blame him. But if from the fervor of his zeal for the gospel, it was not done reproachfully. Christ, too, on many occasions reproached the scribes and Pharisees, not on his own account, but because they were the ruin of all the rest. And he writes a short epistle with good reason. And this is a proof of the virtue of Titus, that he did not require many words but a short remembrance. But this epistle seems to have been written before that to Timothy, for that he wrote as near his end and in prison, but here as free and at liberty, for his saying, I have determined to winter at Nicopolis, is a proof that he was not yet in bonds as when he wrote to Timothy. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. You observe how he uses the expressions indifferently, 
sometimes calling himself the servant of God, and sometimes the servant of Christ, thus making no difference between the Father and the Son. According to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life. According to the faith of God's elect, it is because thou hast believed, or rather because thou wast entrusted. I think he meant that he was entrusted with God's elect, that is, not for any achievements of mine, nor from my toils and labors did I receive this dignity. It was wholly the effect of his goodness who entrusted me. Yet that the grace may not seem without reason, for still the whole was not of him, for why did he not entrust it to others? He therefore adds, and the acknowledging of the truth, that is, after godliness. For it was for this acknowledgment that I was entrusted, or rather, it was of his grace that this too was entrusted to me, for he was the author of this also. Whence Christ himself said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And elsewhere this same blessed one writes, I shall know, even as also I am known. And again, if I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of, Christ Jesus, first we are apprehended, and afterwards we know. First we are known, and then we are apprehended. First we are were called, and then we obeyed. But in saying, according to the faith of the elect, all is reckoned to them, because on their account I am an apostle, not for my worthiness, but for the elect's sake. As he elsewhere says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos, and the acknowledging the truth that is after godliness. For there is a truth in other things that is not according to godliness. For knowledge in matters of agriculture, knowledge of the arts, is true knowledge, but this truth is after godliness. Or this, according to faith, means that they believed, as the other elect believed, and acknowledged the truth. This acknowledging, then, is from faith, and not from reasonings. In hope of eternal life, he spoke of the present life, which is in the grace of God, and he also speaks of the future, and sets before us the rewards that follow the mercies which God has bestowed upon us. For he is willing to crown us, because we have believed, and have been delivered from error. Observe how the introduction is full of the mercies of God, and this whole epistle is especially of the same character, thus exciting the holy man himself and his disciples also to greater exertions. For nothing profits us so much as constantly to remember the mercies of God, whether public or private. And if our hearts are warmed, then we receive the favors of our friends, and hear some kind word or deed of theirs, much more shall we be zealous in his service when we see into what changers we had fallen, and that God has delivered us from them all. And the acknowledging of the truth. This he says with reference to the type, for that was an acknowledging and a godliness, yet not of the truth, yet neither was it falsehood. It was godliness, but it was in type and figure, and he has well said in hope of eternal life, for the former was in hope of the present life. For it is said, He that doeth these things shall live in them. You see how at the beginning he set forth the difference of grace. They are not the elect, but we. For if they were once called the elect, 
yet are they no longer called so. Verse 2. Which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That is, not now upon the change of mind, but from the beginning it was so foreordained. This he often asserts, as when he says, separated unto the gospel of God. And again, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Thus showing our high origin, in that he did not love us now first, but from the beginning. And it is no little matter to be loved of old and from the beginning. Which God that cannot lie promised. If he cannot lie, what he has promised will surely be fulfilled. If he cannot lie, we ought not to doubt it, though it be after death. Which God that cannot lie, he says, promised before the world began. By this also, before the world began, he shows that it is worthy of our belief. It is not because the Jews have not come in that these things are promised. It had been so planned from the first. Hear, therefore, what he says, but hath in his own times manifested. Wherefore, then, was the delay from his concern for men, that it might be done at a seasonable time? It is time for thee, Lord, to work, says the prophet, for by his own times he meant the suitable times, to do the fitting. Verse 3, But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me, that is, the preaching is committed unto me, for this included everything, the gospel, and things present, and things future, life, and godliness, and faith, and all things at once. Through preaching, that is, openly and with all boldness, for this is the meaning of preaching. For as a herald proclaims in the theater in the presence of all, so also we preach, adding nothing, but declaring the things which we have heard. For the excellence of a herald consists in proclaiming to all what has really happened, not in adding or taking away anything. If, therefore, it is necessary to preach, it is necessary to do it with boldness of speech. Otherwise, it is not preaching. On this account, Christ did not say, Tell it upon the housetops, but preach it upon the housetops, showing both the place and the manner what was to be done, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. The expressions committed unto me and according to the commandments show the matter to be worthy of credit, so that no one should think it discreditable, nor be hesitating about it or discontented. If then it is a commandment, it is not at my disposal. I fulfill what is commanded. For of things to be done, some are in our power, others are not. For what he commands, that is not our power. What he permits is left to our choice. For instance, whosoever shall say to his brother, Thou fool, shall be in danger of the hellfire. This is a commandment. And again, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. This is also a commandment. But when he says, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. This is not a command, for he makes his hearer the disposer of the matter, and leaves him the choice, whether he will do it or not. For these things we may either do or not do, but commandments are not left to our choice. We must either perform them or be punished for not doing so. This is implied when he says, Necessity is laid upon me, yea, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 
This I will state more plainly, that it may be manifest to all. For instance, he that is entrusted with the government of the church and honored with the offices of the bishop, if he does not declare to the people what they ought to do, will have to answer for it. But the layman is under no such obligation. On this account, Paul also says, according to the commandment of God our Savior, I do this. And see how the epitaphs fits into what I have said. For having said above, God who cannot lie, here he says, according to the commandment of God our Savior. If then he is our Savior, and he commanded these things with a view that we should be saved, it is not from a love of command. It is a matter of faith in the commandments of God our Savior. To Titus, my own son, that is my true son, for it is possible for men not to be true sons, as he of whom he says, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, who such an one know not to eat. Here is a son, but not a true son. A son indeed is he because he has once received the grace and has been regenerated. But he is not a true son because he is unworthy of his father and a deserter to the usurped sovereignty of another. For in children by nature, the true and the spurious are determined by the father that begot and the mother who bore them. But it is not so in this case, but it depends on the disposition. For one who was a true son may become spurious, and a spurious son may become a true one. For it is not the force of nature, but the power of choice on which it depends, whence it is subject to frequent changes. Onesimus was a true son, but he was again not true, for he became unprofitable. Then he again became a true son, so as to be called by the apostle his own bowels. Verse 4. To Titus, my own son, after the common faith. What is after the common faith? After he had called him his own son and assumed the dignity of a father, hear how it is that he lessens and lowers that honor. He adds after the common faith. That is, with respect to the faith, I have no advantage over thee, for it is common, and both thou and I were born by it. Whence then does he call him his own son? Either only wishing to express his affection for him, or his priority in the gospel, or to show that Titus had been enlightened by him. On this account he calls the faithful both children and brethren, brethren because they were born by the same faith, children because it was by his hands. By mentioning the common faith, therefore, he intimates their brotherhood. Verse 4. Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Because he had called him his son, he adds, from God the Father to elevate his mind by showing whose son he was, and by not only naming the common faith, but by adding our father, he implies that he has this honor equally with himself. Observe also how he offers the same prayers for the teacher as for the disciples and the multitude. For indeed he needs such prayers as much or rather more than they, by how much he has greater enmities to encounter and is more exposed to the necessity of offending God. For the higher is the dignity, the greater are the dangers of the priestly office. For one good act in his episcopal office is sufficient to raise him to heaven, and one error to sink him into hell itself. For to pass over all other cases of daily occurrence, if he happens either from friendship or any other cause, to have advanced an unworthy person to a bishopric, or have committed to him the rule of a great city, see to how great 
of flame he renders himself obnoxious for not only will he have to account for the souls that are lost but they are lost through the man's irreligion but for all that is done amiss by the other for he that is irreligious in a private station will be much more so when he is raised to power it is much indeed if a pious man continue such after his elevation to rule for he is then more strongly assailed by vainglory and the love of wealth and self-will when his office gives him the power and by offenses insults and reproaches and numberless other evils if therefore any one be irreligious he will become more so when raised to the office he who appoints such a ruler will be answerable for all the offenses committed by him and for the whole people but if it is said of him who gives offense to one soul if it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that they were drowned in the depth of the sea what will he have to suffer who offends so many souls whole cities and populations and multitudes of families men women children citizens and husbandmen the inhabitants of the city itself and of all places subject to it to say thrice as much more is to say nothing <clears throat> so severe is the vengeance and the punishment to which he will be obnoxious so that a bishop especially needs the grace and peace of god for if without these he governs the people all is ruined and lost for want of those helms and though he be skilled in the art of steering he will sink the vessel and those that sail in it if he has not these helms the grace and peace of god hence i am struck with astonishment at those who desire for so great a burden wretched unhappy man seest thou what it is thou desirest if thou art by thyself unknown and undistinguished though thou committest ten thousand faults thou hast only one soul for which to give an account and for it alone wilt thou be answerable but when thou art raised to this office consider for how many persons thou art obnoxious to punishment hear what paul says obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account but doest thou desire honor and power but what pleasure is there in this honor i confess i see not for to be a ruler indeed is not possible since it depends upon those under thy rule to obey it or not and to anyone who considers the matter closely it will appear that a bishop does not so much come to rule as to serve a multitude of masters who are of opposite desires and sentiments for what one commands another blames what this man censures that admits to whom therefore shall he listen with whom shall he comply it is impossible and the slave that is bought with money complains if his master's commands are contrary to each other but shouldest thou grieve when so many masters give thee contrary orders thou art condemned even for this and all the mouths are open against thee tell me then is this honor is this rule is this power one who holds the episcopal office has required a contribution of money he who is unwilling to contribute not only withholds it but that he may not seem to withhold it from indifference he accuses his bishop he is a thief he says a robber he engulfs the goods of the poor he devours the rights of the needy cease thy calumnies how long wilt thou say these things wilt thou not contribute no one compels thee there is no constraint why dost thou revile him 
who counsels and advises thee? Is anyone reduced to need? And he from inability or some other hindrance? Has not lent a hand? No allowance is made for him. The reproaches in this case are worse than in the other. This then is government. He cannot avenge himself, for they are his own bowels. And as though the bowels be swollen, and though they give pain to the head and the rest of the body, we venture not on revenge. We cannot take a sword and pierce them. So if one of those under our rule be of such sort and create trouble and disorder by these accusations, we dare not avenge ourselves, for this would be far from the disposition of a father, but we must endure the grief till he becomes sound and well. The slave bought with money has an appointed work, which when he has performed he is afterwards his own master, but the bishop is distracted on every side and is expected to do many things that are beyond his power. If he knows not how to speak, there is great murmuring, and if he can speak, then he is accused of being vainglorious. If he cannot raise the dead, he is of no worth, they say. Such an one is pious, but this man is not. If he eats a moderate meal, for this is the accused, he ought to be strangled, they say. If he is seen at the bath, he is much censored. In short, he ought not to look upon the sun. If he does the same things that I do, if he bathes, eats, and drinks, and wears the same clothing, and has the care of a house and servants, on what account is he set over me? But he has domestics to minister him, and an ass to write upon. Why then is he set over me? But say, ought he then to have no one to wait upon him? Ought he himself to light his own fire, to draw water, to cleave wood, to go to market? How great a degradation this would be! Even the holy apostles would not that any ministers of the word should attend upon the tables of the widows, but they considered it a business unworthy of them. And would you degrade them to the offices of your own domestics? Why dost not thou, who commandest these things, come and perform these services? Tell me, does not he minister to thee a better service than thine, which is bodily? Why dost thou not send thy domestic to wait upon him? Christ washed the feet of his disciples. It is then a great thing for thee to give this service to thy teacher? But thou art not willing to rend it thyself, and thou grudgest it to him. Ought he then to draw his livelihood from heaven? But God wills it not so. But you will say, Had the apostles free men to serve them? Would you then hear how the apostles lived? They made long journeys, and free men and honorable women laid down their lives and souls for their relief. But hear this blessed apostle thus exhorting, Hold such in reputation, and again, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. See what he says, But thou hast not a word to throw away upon thy spiritual father, much less wilt thou submit to any danger on his behalf. But thou sayest, he ought not to frequent the bath. And where is this forbidden? There is nothing honorable in being unclean. These are not the things we find blamed or applauded at all. For the qualities which a bishop is required to possess are different as to be blameless, sober, orderly, hospitable, apt to teach. These the apostle requires. And these we ought to look for in a ruler of the church. But nothing further. Thou art not more strict than Paul, nor more strict than the Spirit. 
If he be a striker or violent or cruel and unmerciful, accuse him. These things are unworthy of a bishop. If he be luxurious, this also is censurable. But if he takes care of his body, that he may minister to thee, if he attends to his health, that he may be useful, ought he for this to be accused? Knowest thou not that bodily infirmity, no less than infirmity of the soul, injures both us and the church? Why otherwise does Paul attend to this matter? In running to Timothy, use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and for thy often infirmities. For if we could practice virtue with the soul alone, we need not take care of the body. And why then were we born at all? But if this has contributed a great share, is it not the extreme of folly to neglect it? For suppose a man honored with the bishopric and entrusted with the public charge of the church, and let him in other respects be virtuous and have every quality which a priest ought to possess, yet let him be always confined to his bed by reason of great infirmity, what in service will he be able to render? Upon what mission can he go? What visitation can he undertake? Whom can he rebuke or admonish? These things I say that you may learn not causelessly to accuse him, but rather may receive him favorably, as also that if any one desire rule in the church, seeing the shower of abuse that attends it, he may quench that desire. Great indeed is the danger of such a station, and it requires the grace and peace of God, which that we may have abundantly. Do you pray for us, and we for you, that practicing virtual rights, we may also obtain the blessings promised, through Jesus Christ, with whom, etc. End of Homily 1